He said. And now they're going to go prepare and they're crying. I can't believe what had happened. But we know the story, don't we? We know it well because we talk about it every Sunday. We talk about it every Easter. That when they showed up at the tomb, something happened. Something was going on at the tomb when they got there. At first, they could be mad about it because they're like, oh, because Jesus was, if we're looking at today's deal, he was, he was trendy. He was, but he transcends everything. He had a lot of followers. So people wanted to uh, figure it out. And they thought, well, maybe if, if we take the body, they won't come over here and just keep worshiping this tomb. I mean, they had these random thoughts. Jesus, he's a gentleman, and uh, kids, get some advice from him. He makes his bed in the morning, too. Didn't you have something laying on there, just all nice and clean, a little cloth sitting there? Ain't nothing there. He comes out. Tombs rolled away. Can I, can I encourage, we got to get into this. Can I, and it's all about this. Can I encourage you about something? I know, like, we have broken places in our personal lives. I know we've been through stuff. Individually, I don't know your story, and I'm not taking it lightly. But I can tell you one thing. Quit going back to the tomb. Quit going back to that place thinking that you're going to get a different result at that same place. If he's resurrected, you need to go somewhere and tell somebody. Let him heal you so you can keep moving forward. And I know in this room, and it's crazy, but I know that some people have had some bad things happen, but they still haven't let those things go. And they still have the tomb and still bring memorance flowers and still in their personal situations, whether it's somebody's hurt me or I've, I've been done wrong or whatever the case is, or I've been, I've been the problem and I've done it, so I, I can't get over, you know, forgiving myself. You don't need to go to the tomb anymore. And let him set you free. And guess what happens when the sun sets free? They're free indeed, and guess what they do? They stir it up in the city. They tell everybody. Not about, look, I'm set free, but no, look what Jesus has done. Your actions are going to change everything. Your, the, way you, the way your demeanor and everything about you, when it starts to change because of Christ, people will notice that you ain't got to say one word. And because we live in such a weird culture right now with everybody's offended about everything, you have to hold strong and dig your roots deep. He is the anchor of your soul. So when somebody tries to offend you, don't fall apart. And feel like everything's an offense. Stand strong and stand on his word. And surround yourself with people that are going to lift you up. And they might make you mad because they're going to keep you accountable to it. You got this. Come on. Don't go there. Come on. We need that in our lives. I need that in my life. But man, here we are. It's Sunday. The tomb was rolled away. There's chaos in the city. It's supposed to be a good day. I mean, the whole week was supposed to be good. I mean, there's a festival. They're, they're celebrating. But the darkest day happened on a Friday. And what seemed lost was found. He wasn't dead. He was just robbing the grave. He's just robbing hell, taking keys. He had you in mind. We've been in this thing called bartered promises. How we, in a moment, sometimes want to switch it out for a, a, a quick fix. Like a brother selling his inheritance for a cup of soup. Judas was money hungry, so he sold out the, the king of kings for some, some money. 
Just a quick stack. That's all I need. Real quick, Adam and Eve selling it out over one tree, two bites, lost the garden instantly. And now we got to change up the true bartered promise where Jesus Christ will barter his whole entire life for you to live. Will hang on a tree so that you can have life more abundantly. There's hope. There's hope in the cross. And, and, and if, when you go through stuff, and, you're, and you might think of this, like, you don't know what I've been through. Anybody ever said that? I've said that. You don't know what I've been through. But the reality is, Jesus knows what you've been through. And he can heal that. And the cross, it equals love because always he did it for love. He tripped up the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Well, what's, what's the better commandment? What's the greatest? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, body, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. It's equally as important. The two greatest commandments are right here. So we're going to dig in this for a few minutes. And I want you, this is how we've been doing church. God's told us to hold for it, and we're still holding it. Since last year, we were looking in the cameras with nobody. And still trying to just keep moving. I'm going to have uh, Pastor Josh go. But before he goes, because he's going to take off in this, it's his birthday today. <laughs> Pastor Josh, come at you, buddy. Oh, let's hug. Brothers hug. Uh, brothers don't shake hands. Brothers, brothers are, oh, <laughs> Let's dig into this. Funny. Let me say something real quick before I start on this, because God wrecked me up on when we and we. I can't even talk. Woo! No, I'm telling you, when I was up there, God just started wrecking me. I was up in a high place, <laughs> burning up. Jesus, it's hot up there. Anyway, nice so blazer on, Jesus. Yeah, I'm about to get set free. So uh, <laughs> mess me up. <laughs> Anyway, <laughs> I was up there, and God just reminded me that two weeks before Easter, 24 years ago, he rescued me. And what's so crazy is today's my birthday on Resurrection Sunday, and I just think it's so awesome that I've had 24 years to really live. Because I've been living for 24 years. Pastor Day, I figured it out. Pastor Day told me, he said, pick an age and let's stick with that. And when you figure out how to stay there, let me know. I figured it out. I'm 24 years old. Because 24 years ago, I got resurrected on a Sunday morning two weeks before Easter. So whenever that was for you, preacher, live it, man. Live it. So anyway, good stuff. But I'm grateful, I'm thankful that I've had 24 years of living true life and getting the, the opportunity to preach the gospel and share with people the life-changing message and power of a risen Savior that will never die again and this kingdom is established for eternity. Isn't that powerful? It's more powerful than your shouting. Jesus goes to the garden to be obedient to the Father. 
undoing Adam and Eve's disobedience in the garden. I found this online, and it just shook me, man, as I began to read it. Uh, I began to kind of dig a little bit, and isn't it intriguing that Jesus had to go to a garden before he ever went to a cross? He went to the Garden of Gethsemane because the redemption process had to touch everything that was forfeited and bartered. So he had to go to a garden called Gethsemane. And in Gethsemane, he prayed and, and said things like, Father, if, if this cup could pass from me, even so, not my will, but yours be done. See, he had to regenerate the will that Adam forfeited so that he could say, Father, it's not my will that needs to be done in this garden, but it's yours that needs to be done. I understand the first Adam gave up something that he, you intended for him to live in and walk into the cool of the day with, with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. He forfeited that moment, but I'm in this garden today, and I'm going to regenerate and recreate what you intended for people to live in from day one. So I'm going to pray here, and even though I'm hurting right now, even though I'm struggling right now, I'm going to stay in this fight, and I'm going to say, whatever your will is, if I have to go to this cross, then so be it. I'm going to do it for our people. Isn't that powerful? He had to start in a garden. Adam and Eve hides behind a tree, naked, covered in shame. Jesus hangs on a tree, naked, and conquers shame. Woo-wee. You want me to? <laughs> Adam and Eve hides behind a tree naked, covered in shame. Jesus hangs on a tree naked and conquers shame. Isn't that powerful? So here's what's crazy. He goes to a garden to redeem it. Then he goes to a tree to hang on it. Because what Adam and Eve did was ate from a tree that caused them to fall. Now he hangs on a tree that causes him, them to rise. Woo. He took every bit of our shame. He took every bit of our guilt. He took every bit of our sickness and disease that, that was caused by the stumbling of, of people in a garden. And he takes it all on himself and he hangs it on a cross. Adam and Eve begin in paradise but are forced outside the gates due to the curse. Jesus dies outside the gates but ends up in paradise due to the cross. He said, I'm going to take the curse upon myself, and I'm going to hang it upon a tree. And isn't it funny that back then it was actually, you were considered a cursed man if you were hung on a tree. Jesus says, I'm going to take the curse that was placed by Adam and Eve due to their sin that came upon humanity. I'm going to take it all upon myself, and I'm going to hang as a cursed man upon a tree, and I'm going to redeem my people once and for all. Because the curse didn't come down, he did. The curse didn't come down off the tree. Jesus came down off the tree. So powerful. Woo! Adam and Eve's sin ushered a curse of thorns. Jesus wears a crown of thorns as he ushered in salvation from sin. Isn't that awesome? They had to go till the ground and live with the thorns that came up out of the ground. Jesus takes the crown of thorns and sticks it upon his head as he ushers in salvation for humanity. Listen to this. It's in uh, Isaiah chapter 53, verse 4 and 5. This is so good. But in fact, he has become our griefs and he has carried our sorrows and pains. Yet, this is so good. Yet we ignorantly assume that he was stricken 
struck down by God and degraded and humiliated by him. Hang on before you move. Go back. I think what we have to remember here is that God the Father isn't the one that struck him down. It was us. It was our sin. It was our shame. It was our guilt that caused him to have to come and redeem his people. The beautiful part of it was, though, is that he did it with joy. He did it knowing that it was going to set his people free and that we would have life and have it more abundantly. Isn't that beautiful? The things that we bartered in the past, he bartered for on the cross and gave it back to us as our inheritance, and that is eternal life. Keep going. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our wickedness, our sin, our injustice, our wrongdoing. The punishment required for our well-being fell on him, and by his stripes or wounds, we are healed. I wrote this down. Wounded for our transgression means infringement or violation of the law, command, or duty. He was crushed for our wickedness, the quality of being evil or morally wrong. He took the violation of our sin upon himself. He took our violations of the law upon himself and he said, I'm going to set you free from this forever. You will never have to be a slave to it ever again. The problem that we have today is that we forgot what he did on the cross and we keep becoming slaves of the things that he set us free from. The reason we do this is because we forget our identity. Our identity isn't found in what we've been labeled by. Our identity is found what he did on the cross. It's found only through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's found in him. The punishment or sacrifice for our well-being, I love that. He took the punishment that was required for our well-being. He knew that he had to take it all upon himself. When he was at that whipping post and them stripes that were laid across his back, the, the stripes that were laid across his body were for our wounds, were for our transgressions, were for our sins, so that we could be healed completely. See, we look at healing as something physically in the body all the time, but he was healing your mind. He was healing your emotions. He was healing the brokenness of your heart. He was setting you free from the labels of religious things that people would try to put on you so that you would stay a slave in bondage to sin and to religion. Can I just do something real quick? You want to help me? I'm going to stand up. Stand up real, with me real quick. Take this off me, man. Take it off me. See, some of us walked in with our coats of religion over our shoulder today. We walked in with them. And can I be honest with you? I shouldn't have been wearing this jacket because fat guy in a little coat. That thing, was, that thing was killing my arms. I couldn't even lift my arms. I couldn't even lift my arms. And isn't that what religion does to you? It keeps you from lifting your arms. It keeps you from lift, keeps you from praising him when you need to praise him. He just had to shake some religion off of Come me on. today. That religious thing that was sitting on me and wouldn't allow me to lift my hands. Woo. That's what he did on the cross. Like a little penguin. Dude, I felt so weird. I was playing the bass like this. Jesus set me free. My God in heaven, I was sweating. But see, religion and labels, they bind you and they weigh you down. They do. And yet, you know, people go through different things in their life and, and it has formed them to, to something else. You know what I'm saying? So their life is lived like that. 
And remember, I think you said this last week because, not this, but about what I'm about to say. Jeremy made a statement that he was singing and he was uh, organ man's here somewhere. Where are you at, Jeremy? Oh, hi, buddy. Welcome Way back here. Um, he was talking about how he was in a business. He was spraying and stuff for their bugs and stuff. And uh, they were singing a song and he started singing it. Some song, some church song, some song on the radio. And the lady looked at him and was like, uh, well, I didn't realize you were a, you didn't look like a Christian or a, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what you look like. You just don't look like one, man. You look like Bagger Vance today with your hat, but. But listen, so, so check this out. So it is said like, well, you don't look like a, a Christian. So they were really like taken back that this man is out here spraying and like lifting up the name of Jesus, like getting it right there in front of everybody. And then he's like, hey, I've been listening to this one song, this song called Crazy Love that we just sang. You should listen to it. He said he went all the way back and she said uh, she started listening to it and he heard her listening to it. And they had a conversation. But you said when we had this conversation, you know what's crazy? You were talking about how people are spiritually, have a spiritually, a spiritual racism. Yes. Yeah. And how, what happens is, is we, we say, you know, because people have all been victim to this and, and, and people have done this whole thing where you look at somebody and you make an assumption about them. So, yeah, and you label them. Yeah. Well, they shouldn't. Well, he don't look like he's a Christian. He's the organ man. He ain't Christian. I don't even know what. Yeah, all day. And, and you know, and we get that at times. Well, you don't look like a pastor. And I'm like, what does a pastor look like? I don't know. You're like, I don't know. But, and then, or you don't look like, you know, the, the struggle some people have is like, well, uh, I don't have church clothes, so I can't come. I've never been to a department store that said church clothes over here to the left, down three aisles to the right. Like, what's church clothes? Like, if you want to dress up, dress up. You want to dress down, dress down. We're just glad you're in the room. (laughs) I don't care, but religion weighs you down. That coat of religion weighs you down. The coat of shame, the coat of the past that weighs you down. The labels that stick all over you from your past. I mean, people are still got labels on them from when they were teenagers and they're older adults. He died for that on the cross. Rip the label off or take his shirt off. Do something. So good. Go ahead. So powerful. We don't have to. You want to stand with me? Okay, cool. Stand. 2 Corinthians 5.17. I love this in the Passion Translation. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. Man, I started digging into this, and God started smacking me with this, and and he said, listen, this is what I did for my people on the cross, but it wasn't just about me going to the cross, it was also about me rising again. Because he put the old things on the cross to crucify him, but when he rose from the dead, he brought fresh new life to us. Old things have passed away because we fall under the government of the kingdom. All things are new because we have come under the umbrella of the new covenant that Jesus paid for on the cross. His resurrection is the promise of the newness of life in the kingdom that offers us when we say yes to him. He did everything on that cross. He paid the penalty on that cross 
so that we could have hope again, so that we could have life again. But it didn't stop there. When they put him in the tomb and he rose again three days later, he brought the newness of life and said that if anyone be in Christ, anyone, he is a new creation. Your old things have passed away because of what I did on the cross. And new life has come because what I did three days later. What's crazy? Man, I love Jesus. He's so good. Like, I like him. Like, like he stirs the pot all the time. Like, he walked in the temple and said, look, I'm going to tear it down and build, rebuild it in three days. They're like, that's a terrorist. We got to go. So my call, 2719, you know. And they flipped out and thought, this man's coming to tear this place down, and he's going to rebuild it. He, they, they considered him a terrorist. If you called yourself a Christian, you were considered to be a terrorist. And he was talking about what you just said, the resurrection. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear the temple, and I'm going to rebuild it in three days. They're like, there's no possible way. You know how long it took us to build this thing? They, but see what happened? And please know, he were, they were talking to what you call so-called Christians. Our, our believers, our followers, our, the people that read the scrolls, they did not in their mindset get it. And yet they read the Old Testament over and over. And even the Old Testament had so many scriptures that were about the, talking about this guy that was coming that's going to save the world, that's going to die, and is going to rise. But they're also the same ones that read the scrolls crying out for revival, crying out for the Messiah, and as he's riding in on a donkey, they're not paying attention anymore, and they allowed revival to ride right by him while they're criticizing They're still reading it. Well, where is he at? He's right here, riding right by you. Because the problem we have anymore is church folks and people are shining light on light and not seeing a difference. Light only makes a difference in the darkness. And we have to shine the light. Bright. I feel like we've been just walking in a revival moment all for this last week and a half. Just reviving the soul, salvation exploding, new life, new hope for people. God's got something. You good? We just, we preaching. Man. Go ahead, love. You good? I know you got something to say. I was just thinking about the exchange that was made. And if you look up the definition of exchange, it's an act of giving one thing and receiving another, especially of the same type or value in return. And I was thinking about how when Jesus died on the cross and came in, um, going back to the scripture in Second um, Corinthians five seventeen, in the Passion Translation, it says, now if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new person. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. And God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the whole, the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. We are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world. As though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips, so we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not know sin to become sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. 
And the word there, the original word for reconcile is catalasso. Uh, it means to change or exchange first for money, but here in individuals from enmity to friendship or to reconcile. If you go to um, Romans chapter 5, and I believe it is verse 10, if you start there, or actually verse 9, it says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through the Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. I know that's a word that just keeps repeating itself. But what's crazy about that word right there is that in this scripture, it literally meant to exchange. Now, what triggered me about that word is we've been talking about bartered promises. To barter is to exchange or trade something. In, in an exchange, when you trade something, it's for a something else that has greater or equal value. And what struck me here is that this exchange did not have equal value. God literally traded for the lesser. He, like, looked at us and everything that we were going through and was like, he didn't look at it like, man, that's an upgrade. In reality, he looked at it and was like, that's a downgrade, you know what I'm saying? But it, to us, he didn't think of it that way. To us, it was about, he was looking to us as if we were this great prize to be won, this great trade that was this great trophy for him and to be taken care of and to, to love and to cherish. And what's crazy about it is I begin to think, and, and God began to tell me, he said, I want you to imagine and so I want you guys to do the same thing with me this morning. I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to imagine. We're going to do a little bit of daydreaming this morning. Is that all right? So I want you to close your eyes and I want you to imagine. And I want you to think about all the people who have hurt you, denied you, forgotten you, ignored you, abused you, disowned you, hated you, mocked you, gossiped about you, left you, used you, cheated you, were fake to you, and disloyal to you. Think about all those people. Now imagine taking on all those grievances and carrying them, and not only that, but all the sins from lying, stealing, adultery, lust, greed, hate, murder. Take all those, and imagine literally every evil you can think of as well as carrying it too. Now imagine you holding all those things knowing you did nothing to deserve them, and neither did you commit any of them. Now imagine that the only way for all of them to be forgiven and put away was for you to die. For your life in exchange for all of their wrongs. Your life, one that only showed love, mercy, compassion, kindness, justness, truth, loyalty, faithfulness, hope, peace, purity, grace, healing, forgiveness, kindness. Being the only thing that could trade for them. Now imagine the only way to do so was to be crucified, to be beaten until unrecognizable, to be bruised and crushed, mocked, jeered, hated, then nailed to the cross through your hands and your feet and pierced on your side. Imagine that you know there is no other option. Would you do it? Would you be willing to die for your enemy? 
Would you be willing to die for all those people who mocked you, who jeered you, who cheated you, who denied you, who abused you, who disowned you, who hated you, who gossiped about you, who left you, who are fake and disloyal? Would you do it? Would you lay your life down for somebody who is your enemy? Would you lay your life down for the child molester? Would you do it? Would you lay your life down for the murderer? Would you lay your life down for the terrorist? Would you do it? Would you lay your life down in an instant knowing that you were going to take on all of their things and say that it was yours? Say that it was yours, that you were willing to carry it, that, that, you, that you were the one to take on those sins, that they did nothing wrong to excuse them and pardon them and watch them walk out the door knowing that they may not ever thank you one time or love you in return. Would you do it? I'm not going to lie. There's no way I probably would do it. Not like that. Not like that. I'm not going to say that I'm Jesus Christ and would have the ability to do that. Not like that. But what I know is that we have a Savior that literally took an uneven exchange and looked at you as something that was so much value to hold on to. It's powerful. Would you do it? Think about it. Would you? Think about all the people who have hurt you in your life. The things that you may still be holding on to. You can't even let them go. So how could you literally let go to allow forgiveness to come in? Forgiveness is the greatest gift. And it's not for them. It's for you. It's so that you can allow God to come in and do great things in your life. So that you don't have anything keeping a barrier between you and him. And the problem of it is, is that we don't look at God that way. See, we don't look at him. See, we're, we're forgiven. We know Jesus just like that. That's that religious jacket. I know God and I'm a Christian. And we wear it well. But I think sometimes we forget that sometimes during the day, you're the one who mocks him. You're the one who cheats him. You're the one who denies him. You're the one who disowns him. You're disloyal to him. We do it every day by choices that we make because we don't want to give up everything in return for the one who gave up everything for us. And that's the crazy part about it. It's not an even trade. It never was and it never will be. But thank God that he thinks that you have value enough to love you enough in where you are to know that you can be forgiven and to know that you can walk away being a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. And today that you can be turned around and saved and renewed and redeemed and restored and reconciled to come in and walk in righteousness with Jesus Christ. That's the power of the cross. What is your soul worth? Consider the price that was paid for it. Then make a determination. What's your soul worth? Think about the value of what God gave up to secure our eternal souls. The blood of Jesus was God's own life. Oh, you didn't hear me. The blood of Jesus was God's own life. What's your soul worth? It was the ultimate one-sided bartered transaction. God brought his own son on the cross of Calvary. All we bring to the table is debt and sin. It's one-sided. 
It's a one-sided transaction. What's your soul worth? What could be possible to God to give exchange for what we give? The value that he saw in us. And see, see, sometimes we don't see that in ourselves. We don't see the worth. But see, it's okay sometimes that we don't see that because see, he took all that for us. And so see, sometimes we hold ourselves in that place that we don't have that worth or that value when in reality, God sent his only son because he could see the value in us. I'm going to read this real quick. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. But I want to read verse 20 in the message. You were God's expensive purchase. So by all means, use your body to bring glory to God. You were God's expensive purchase. See, some of you don't think you're expensive. Some of you don't think that you're an expensive purchase. And by all means, use your body for the glory of God. You are not your own. We bring nothing to the table but sin and debt. Some of you have sin and debt. And he's saying you're expensive. I want you to stand with me. Jesus bartered for our soul. It's valuable because it cost. And it took him to redeem our lives. He bartered for our soul. You didn't hear that. He bartered for our soul. He thought that we were expensive. And some of you don't think that you're expensive. Some of you don't think that you're worth anything. But God sent his only son to die on the cross for us because he valued us. I want you to close your eyes. This is a moment. This is a time. And just like 24 years ago, when you walk down from a drunken stupor at a house with all these men passed out everywhere and you walked because you felt the woo of God upon you even when you didn't understand everything that was going on and you ran as fast as you could and sometimes he finds us in a church sometimes he finds us on a street Sometimes he finds us giving out a piece of candy to somebody. Sometimes he finds us wherever he finds us because he knows that we're expensive to him. Amen. You're valued. Man, I just, I'm so stirred because I think some of you feel like you're too far away. <laughs> you're never too far away from his reach. And here's the beautiful thing. The religious will tell you that you're too far. The religious will tell you you're too far because they'll never come into a bar to rescue you. They'll never come into the dark alleys to rescue you. But isn't it funny that Christ went to the dark place 
to pay the penalty for us and I was in a dark place in an apartment with 40 other people getting high and drunk and he chose to allow his spirit to come in there and begin to tug on me and begin to rescue me in a moment because he knew I was valuable to him. The enemy wants you to feel like you're not valuable enough. He wants you to feel like you're too far out of God's reach. But I'm here to tell you that you're not too far. It doesn't matter how deep into sin you've gone. Because the one who knew no sin took it all upon himself and hung on a cross Let's for go. you. And this morning, he's standing up here with his arms wide open, just waiting to embrace you because he loves you that much. He's such a father that he's been waiting for you at the bottom of the hill. And he's just waiting for you to come over. And he doesn't need you to come and bow before him and say, Father, I'm not good enough because what he's going to do for you this morning is he's going to put a new robe on you. He's going to put new sandals on you and he's going to put his signet ring upon you because he did it on the cross for you. You're not too far away. You're not too far away. You're actually in the right place at the right time in the right moment. And if you're watching by TV or video right now, I need you to understand, even though you're sitting there and you're not in this house, he's sitting in your house right now. He was sitting with me at a party 25 years ago, and I didn't realize it. Come on. If you're here this morning and you feel like you've been out of God's reach, if you feel like you're not valuable enough or not good enough, here's the gospel. He came to pay a price to show you how valuable you are to him for God so loved the world for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that listen to this that whosoever that includes everybody we're all included those that struggle with sin those that struggle with whatever they've got going on in their life those that are sick those that are diseased whosoever will come needs to come for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life I just feel a stir in this place this morning that there are some of you that have felt so lost, so forgotten, and so hopeless. But today in the house, there's a man by the name of Hope, and his name is Jesus Christ. If that's you and you feel hopeless and you need him right now, I just want you to step out of your seats and I want you to come. If there's somebody sitting next to you that they don't feel like they can get out on their own, I want you to grab them and bring them up to this place right now. Because it's not about what we're going to say to them. It's about the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Come on. You might need to be renewed. You might need to be renewed. You might be, you know, struggling with some things that you felt. Just because you're in the house and you've been in church doesn't mean that you don't need a Savior. Come on. Ask your neighbor. Come on. We're robbing hell today. Today we're robbing hell. Come on. Jesus.